we aim for 80% of good decisions or helpful decisions every day because there's just no way to be perfect. You know, it's, it's, uh, and you're going to have some days where, you know, you eat pizza and, you know, have donuts and go to a birthday party and have cake and whatever. And you go, whew, there was, that was okay. We got to have those days, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas is coming up, whatever. But, but it is really teaching your kids, you know, to be mindful and to think about it. And even, as you said, when you're going to the the grocery store, even with that, having them look at the labels with you. I mean, you know, a three-year-old's not going to get it, but you know, the more we actually have them do that as they, as they age, you know, that, the more they're going to understand that that red food dye or, you know, the, all the preservatives that if there's 40 ingredients, you know, and there's a lot of stuff in there that our body simply just doesn't know how to digest. This is the Providers, Properties and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. In today's and next week's episodes, I discuss children's health with Kristen Struble, a pediatrician at Camelback Pediatrics, a private practice in Phoenix, Arizona. Kristen shares with us how she enjoys helping families through their healthcare journey. We discuss her book that teaches children about gut health, where she explains how the microbiome is important to overall health and can help prevent and overcome illnesses. We begin a conversation focused on the mental health needs of kids that we finish next week. And next week, the episode continues our discussion on the need for better mental health care for children that existed pre-pandemic and the current need that still exists for better adolescent mental health care that has increased as a result of the pandemic. We hear about Camelback Pediatrics' upcoming move and learn more about Kristen. Kristen, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. So you're a pediatrician in private practice at Camelback Pediatrics. I would say it's perhaps the largest pediatric practice in Phoenix. Um, how did you choose pediatrics as your specialty? Well, I love kids. I'm the youngest of six um, kids. So I got to see a lot of my nieces and nephews grow up. And with that, did a lot of babysitting and started babysitting in my teens. And I just have an affinity for kids and I'm kind of a goofball. So as I went through residency, or I mean, excuse me, uh, med school, um, and we did our different clinical rotations, it was very obvious to me that it was the most appealing. Kids are super fun and super energetic, and they just, they emanate joy. So I loved it. Knew right away that was what I was going to do. Well, I would have to say that pediatrics has got to be quite a challenging path because I don't think the human body changes as much in 18 years as it does between birth and 18 years. You know what? It's, it's, it's challenging, but um, kids are resilient and you can do so much to help them grow mentally, physically, and emotionally as a preventative healthcare physician. And pediatricians really are that. Um, So it's, it's really fun to, to help do so, help be a part of uh, uh, family's care. And, um, you know, with that, uh, see uh, them grow up. It's very rewarding. 
you also pursued, you know, pediatric nutrition and dermatology as well. And so what led you to have a passion for, for both of those, especially the nutrition, which will, um, you know, that you ended up writing your book about, and we'll talk about that soon. They've always been my area of interest. I, I didn't necessarily, I did not pursue um, specialties in that area. I just have definitely always had an affinity towards those areas um, because gut health, you know, definitely is uh, pivotal to overall health. You know, it's all, all disease begins in the gut, right? That's what Hippocrates said. And we see a lot of manifestations of of diseases, specifically the skin, if the gut isn't healthy. And we see that early on with, you know, cradle cap and eczema and um, what we see in infancy. So with that, uh, every day in my journey as a pediatrician, I did notice that um, so many kids had, you know, manifestations of, of GI upset. And with that, lots of diseases, you know, most speakably chronic constipation, chronic abdominal pain associated with that. And, uh, you know, so much of it's, it's dietary. And so, uh, with a nutrition degree in undergrad and biochemistry as well, I just, it, it had always been my passion to kind of seek out what we could do to try to cultivate a, a healthier gut. And so, uh, really looking at, at healthy nutrition choices and trying to promote those to promote a healthier, you know, GI tract and therefore a healthier kid has always been my passion. And that's what drove me to write the book. Well, as a pediatrician, you are the first line in defense in, in children's health care. And if a child is consistently not feeling good and after all, you know, appropriate tests are done and nothing can really be found, when do you, you know, start with, well, this might be diet, nutrition or sleep or some basic lifestyle um, things that need to change first before you can eliminate some other health issues? Well, so I'll give an example. Uh, your your gut um, in infancy is your intestinal tract is kind of a clean slate, right? So as moms start to breastfeed their, their little babies, little kiddos, or they choose a formula, we absolutely can start to see some uh, GI irritation as early as three weeks. So with that, we would change the formula to an easier ti- digest formula or have mom modify her diet so that what's in the breast milk isn't triggering babies to have what I call angry bowel syndrome, which, you know, many refer to it as reflux or colic or what have you. But once we start to see manifestations, even including to the degree of some babies will actually have blood in their stool, that's when you can actually do an an elimination diet, a trial and error. And if you're not solving the issue, then you seek a gastroenterologist. So there's so much you can do to just modify before you actually have to do, you know, blood tests or stool testing, um, in pediatrics in particular, it's, it's just looking at a food journal, you know, drink journal, and then helping to recommend specific dietary, um, changes or elimination diets for four to six weeks to see if that actually, you know, decreases things like chronic abdominal pain, constipation, eczema, allergies, and, and adults really, many of them have actually sought this out, right? They, they have chronic health issues and, you know, they've been taking Zyrtec or, you know, they have chronic sinus infections or they're chronically bloated or they have, you know, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease, or just they chronically don't feel good. Their head's fuzzy. They, they just know something's wrong. And so they seek out a, a healer who talks them through it and oftentimes will do tests, but uh, you know, the simplest kind of gold standard would be 
an elimination diet. And so many people that do that uh, feel better. So that would definitely mean that if we start that earlier, then we wouldn't have <laughs> so many of us that are trying to seek out somebody to heal us <laughs> differently than taking a medicine. So. Well, and, and you're right. I mean, this this is problems for people of all ages. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're talking about it more, but, you know, gluten, dairy, or other food sensitivities, um, you know, I'm sure that there's been a lot more, there's a lot more data now than there was before. And, you know, have these sensitivities always been there and led to some illnesses, but now that people, there's probably some more studies that scientifically prove that. Well, what's interesting and <laughs> there's this, so with my book, one of the biggest messages I have and in general as a pediatrician is kids should drink water. They don't need cow's milk at a year. So that's one of my biggest messages. And I've been saying that my entire career and I get a lot of pushback, but I think it's becoming more, more widely accepted. And they're actually one of the probably most well-respected um, hematologists, oncologists, he's a pediatrician, um, amazing training, wrote more or did more um, research and publications regarding um, um, hematology and oncology. And with that, lots of you know issues with anemia and whatnot. His name was Frank Oski, and he wrote a book 30 years ago. Actually, it's probably even longer, uh, called Don't Drink Your Milk. And it discussed all of the negative consequences that it can have on your system, which it was very fortuitous in terms of uh, now what we're seeing with the gut microbiome. But he talked about autoimmune disease, type 1 diabetes, uh, asthma, allergies, eczema, tonsillitis, all the things that basically our body's trying to say, hello. Something you're putting in isn't being digested well, chronic constipation, all these things. So, and, and gluten and casein, which is the protein in cow's milk or any animal milk for that matter, but beta casein and cow's milk and gluten act very similarly. They irritate the gut. They make it leaky. We don't absorb. We don't make. We don't um, efficiently utilize nutrients. And therefore, that impacts every organ system. So many people are gluten intolerant. They don't have what's called celiac disease. And um, many people are casein intolerant, which is different than lactose. Casein and lactose are two separate entities, which a lot of people confuse. So anyways, <laughs> I have a lot to say about all this. So it's, it's my passion. It has been forever. So no, I mean, and that's a perfect lead in because I now I, you know, your book. So I love your book, How to Be a Poop Detective. And I, and one of the reasons I like it is it teaches kids to help themselves, which, you know, I, I think that's the job of, of being a parent and an adult is, you know, you teach the, you, tr you try to get yourself out of a job. So what were you seeing that led you to, to write this book? Well, um, I was seeing just, just that if, if, you know, if a mom is breastfeeding and eliminated, um, and still, you know, to this day, um, if she eliminated cow's milk from her diet, these kids that had horrific, colic or fussiness or gas or bloating, these little infants, oftentimes within a couple of weeks, they're, they were fine. And so, um, and then same thing with kids who come in with chronic urinary tract infections or bedwetting or eczema, allergies, eczema, you know, all the things that, again, are manifestations, you know, of, of our gut being imbalanced. If they simply, you know, eliminate one thing, which I always say, you know, 
cow's milk is the biggest thing because cheese and yogurt are easier to digest, but cow's milk is huge. And then even kind of doing gluten light, they, you know, they, they see a lot of these diseases disappear. And so the, the point of the book was also to, to, you know, definitely push water and definitely kind of push the concept of that. But more importantly, you know, poop does say a lot. If you're, if you have constipation, if you have diarrhea, if you're not, you know, going every day, your body's trying to yell at you and saying, please look at what you're putting in it and, and, and make modifications. And furthermore, once kids are potty trained, parents aren't, you know, obsessing with what their poop looks like. They are from day one, but once they're potty trained and the kids want to go into the bathroom and have privacy, they don't oftentimes realize and neither does the child that they're getting backed up or that they are constipated. They're straining to go until oftentimes they'll end up in the emergency room with what seems like appendicitis, but it's truly just FOS or whatever. So, so that's a, that's a big expense for a parent, you know, and it's scary. So to, you know, to go to the ER now it's 5,000 bucks. So if you can say, Hey buddy, what's your poop look like? <laughs> Are you constipated? Are you having trouble pooping? You know, it just definitely helps, uh, helps to have the open up that conversation and make sure that if there is an issue that we'd say, okay, we got to fix this. And we don't want to just use a bandaid. We don't want to just do Miralax all the time. We don't want to use stool softeners. We want to say, hey, let's figure out why, because that shouldn't be happening. Let's figure out why you're having chronic ear infections, not just hit them with antibiotics. Let's, you know, ask why your ADD might be out of control or your whatever, every organ system that's off is, is yelling, you know, like, let's do something about it that might be more of a natural food is medicine approach versus take Zyrtec, you know, or whatever. So not that medication isn't important because I'm not suggesting that they're not fantastic, but if you can do something to help prevent the need or augment the medicine so that it works more effectively, amen, right? Right. But, you know, a, a trip to the grocery store and, you know, having to take the time to, to, you know, mindfully put together your food and try different things and, you know, say, okay, I don't like this. That's a lot cheaper than, um, and time consuming than going to the ER or, or and, you know, they feel better because they're constant, they probably aren't sick all the time and having to go see doctors and get pr- pricked and prodded. But it's a, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I like about your book, I mean, there's eight pages on the description of the colon or the gut and what it does. And I, and I even think, you know, I have this conversation even with some, with adults, um, and I'm sure you do too, that, you know, the, and I'm not even a doctor. So of course I'm, ta- I'm talking about this from reading what I do, but I mean, the, the, the stuff that, the amount that your gut processes, I mean, it processes everything, everything you put in your mouth goes through your gut. And, you know, it's like, if, if it, the gut isn't processing it well, then you're not getting what you need, you know, and it, and it's tough, especially with kids because, you know, they want to have all the quote unquote fun foods. They want to have candies. They want to have cookies. They want to have all this stuff. And, you know, like in, in our house, we have a sugar budget for the day because yeah, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, but it's a good, it's an effort, you know, but, um, but the, but there has to be some sort of balance, you know, like you don't have to not always eat, you know, you don't have to eliminate it completely, but you know, you can't have a meal full of chocolate. You know, if your, your goal in your book is to educate them when they're young like this and the goal to have children grow up to understand that they have control of how they feel with 
food and drinks they put into their bodies. I mean, if, if they really understand that, I think, wouldn't you agree that they become a little, hopefully more responsible growing up if that education is, is built into them when they're younger? Now, every point you made was excellent. And, you know, I saw, I try to push the message too that we aim for 80% of good decisions or helpful decisions every day, because there's just no way to be perfect. You know, it's, it's, uh, and you're going to have some days where, you know, you eat pizza and, you know, have donuts and go to a birthday party and have cake and whatever. And you go, whew, there was, that was okay. We got to have those days, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas is coming up, whatever. But, but it is really teaching your kids, you know, to be mindful and to think about it. And even, as you said, when you're going to the, the grocery store, even with that, having them look at the labels with you. I mean, you know, a three-year-old's not going to get it, but, you know, the more we actually have them do that as they, as they age, you know, that the more they're going to understand that that red food dye or, you know, the, all the preservatives that if there's 40 ingredients, you know, and there's a lot of stuff in there that our body simply just doesn't know how to digest. And so making good choices 80% of the day, aiming to eat real food, you know, is, you know, an apple versus an applesauce and pouch or, you know, a hummus and celery versus hummus and pita chips. Um, just trying to look for alternatives to what we would normally gravitate towards and, and helping to explain to them why and, and setting those good practices early. Because honestly, if they don't ever taste, if they don't taste juice, at a year, or if they don't taste milk at a year, they don't develop that sugar, you know, salt, you know, craving that so many kids do as they, as they get older, you know, it's, it's funny, not that, you know, my son is an example for all, but cause he's not perfect, but, um, you know, if he, if you give him juice, he won't, he, it grosses him out. He's never, and you know, he's never had a glass of milk and he's, tall and 13 and, um, did eat a cookie this morning for breakfast. Just kidding. <laughs> he had that with his eggs and steak. I, he's eating it from the, 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 the turkey that we made, you know, the, uh, the, um, gingerbread houses. It's a gingerbread turkey, but he's sitting there eating it this morning. I'm like, whatever, you know, you do your best. And, you know, with teenagers, um, how old are your kids? I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. So with that age group, one thing that's very useful to discuss is acne. It's really, really, you know, it's, it's hard to have acne. And again, all disease begins in the gut. So if they are consuming a lot of junk food, you know, oftentimes that does manifest in their skin. So it's really, you know, again, trying to eliminate a couple of things for, you know, a month to see if, if, if they, you know, if their acne improves and a huge percentage of the time it, it gets better. And then hygiene, right? You know, it's like, come on, man, wash your face, <laughs> take a shower. With puberty, we talk a lot about hormones and, you know, how they're completely going just crazy. And, you know, the best thing you can do is try to manage the, the other things in your body that you can, which is the food and drinks that you put in there, the sleep that you get at night, um, you know, just all of those other lifestyle changes because your hormones are going to go out of there. That's just, just, they are going to go out of whack for a while. So true. It's, um, you know, the, the five principles of medicine or prevention is definitely, uh, you know, food is medicine, but sleep hygiene is critical. If, you know, your gut kind of rests at night and, you know, tries to rebalance itself. So with that, 
you know, if you sleep well, it's important. And then exercise definitely helps to, to keep us healthy and, you know, just helps decrease our stress hormones and increase our happy hormones. And then, you know, just having relaxation time and then the relationships, which is so pivotal. And, you know, I think we've realized that more, especially over the last, you know, seven months with the pandemic, you know, that we need, we need to have those, those relationships. So, you know, and all that does help, you know, teens, teens, and all of us be more balanced if we, we aim for all those things, you know, doing our best, of course. Well, I read your article recently in the Washington Post, you know, with the trick-or-treating and your, your theme was, you know, to try to, you know, for the behavioral health of, in the children for the, during this pandemic is to try to create as normal, you know, as much normalcy as possible, just because everything else is so abnormal. You know, do you see behavioral health in children being affected with stress and anxiety surrounding this pandemic, you know, with the lack of community that we have and, um, you know, that would typically support their emotional growth? Yes, it's been the most alarming, um, heart-wrenching part of this pandemic because kids are definitely, you know, they can get very sick from this, but for the most part, they do fine. But their mental health, we had a crisis before the pandemic. It is incredibly hard to get kids the help they need as it is adults. Uh, then you throw this in there and the manifestation of mental health disorders and then just, you know, situational anxiety, even in three-year-olds is, is palpable, you know, so it does worry me. And so I think it is important to have some sense of normalcy. And so I think kids being back in school is a very personal decision and everybody's got to make the right decision for themselves. But I just hope that they can continue in school because that's a huge for the the families that choose to do that. And respectfully, I don't judge anybody that doesn't, but there is definitely a difference in the kids who are back in person. They, they need that, that structure, that accountability, the mentorship, the, you know, the relationships that they rely on to learn and grow, but it's tough. It's a tough balance because, um, you know, it just, it doesn't work for every family, but I do, you know, prior to them going back to school, um, it was, it's been really tough. I mean, I love my job and I felt really blessed to be able to be there for families, but when you have teenagers filling out depression screens and many of them are abnormal, it's heartbreaking. And then when parents talk to you about, you know, how hard it is for them to teach and, you know, on top of what the amazing teachers are trying to do. And then, you know, to help their child who's having emotional outbursts or who's not sleeping or who are biting their nails to the nail bed or, you know, nightmares. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of of things that kids are dealing with and we're going to be able to hit the reset button eventually. And, you know, I think that, you know, kids are resilient, they'll be fine, but it is, it has been definitely um, an emotional roller coaster for many, many families. And again, fortunately, thank God the kids do well. Um, with COVID and, but again, the mental health aspect is, is much more detrimental to them. 
I want to take a moment to promote an offer. If you are a provider and you own your own real estate and ever wondered what your options are, I invite you to schedule a 20-minute strategy session with me to discuss the benefits of a sale leaseback transaction. If you have 10 years or more left to practice or you are a large practice, a sale leaseback provides you with the proceeds now to exit the real estate and reinvest into your practice or invest elsewhere. Please go to docproperties.com forward slash free dash consultation dash Trisha dash Talbot to schedule a call. The link will be in the show notes as well if you're driving or unable to write it down. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast and share the podcast with others. Previous episodes are available on the podcast website, providerspropertiesandperformance.com, where you can also sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.